Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. What does the Bible say about divine healing? What does the Bible say about divine healing? Because as I just quoted in Proverbs 4, the scripture says, He that finds my word finds life and health for all their body. So the word of God is the custodian of God's power. When you receive the word and believe the word and faith is mixed in with the word, faith activates God's power inherent in its word in his word so when you receive the word and believe in the word that healing power is activated and naturally without you having to try naturally the healing is going to manifest in your body that is the and i'm going to talk about it tomorrow on the recording that i'm releasing at 1 p.m but the most the easiest way to be healed and the fail proof and timeless method and the most convenient method because whether it's 3 a.m or 3 p.m the, the best way to be healed is to receive the word by faith and like the woman with the issue of blood, reach in for your healing. Take it by force. That's what the woman with the issue of blood, that was her secret. She heard about Jesus and she said to herself, if I can just press to the crowd and touch the hem of his garment. She heard about Jesus, faith came alive. How do we know faith came alive? Because when Jesus turned to her in Mark 5, 34, he said, woman or daughter, thy faith has made you whole. Thy faith. He didn't even say, you know, I wanted you to be healed today. That's why it happened. He said, your faith alone. Jesus had no plan, no intentions on healing that girl, that lady that day. He was just going to Jairus' house. He was on his way to do another miracle. But that woman set an appointment for her own healing. She, faith, listen to this. Faith will allow you to hack into heaven's mainframe, into heaven's computer, and put your name at the top of the list. Smith Wigglesworth used to say it this way. There's something about faith that it, God will move over a million people just to get to you. There's something about faith when it's genuinely put in the word of God that causes God to skip over a million people just to get to you and intervene in your affairs. So as you listen today on what the Bible says about divine healing, be like that woman with the issue of blood. I'm going to press through the religious traditions. I'm going to press through what I've always thought or my opinions about what God, uh, how God healed or did God heal or does God always heal. I'm going to incline my ear to what the word says and God's word is the final authority in my belief system. Understand this, your belief system cannot be built around the opinions of men. Your belief system must be built upon the unadulterated word of God. I'm going to repeat that. Your belief system cannot be built upon the opinions of men. Your belief system has to be built upon the incorruptible, unchangeable, unadulterated word of God. Without the word of God, your belief system is going to be like a ship tossed at sea. 
And you're going to be a very unstable person. But when the word of God is the foundational element of how you believe in life and what you think, how you think about things, your perspective is guided and geared by the word of God, that's when you develop an established life. That's when you can actually walk in faith and have victory in everything. Your belief system cannot be built around opinions that were generated by somebody's, some guy's tragedy. You know how many people, their opinion about divine healing and if God heals is built upon an experience they had or they saw someone else have? Well, you know, my Aunt Sally, she, she believed, and, uh, and so I don't believe God always heals. Really, what scripture do you have to back that up? Just, you know, all due respect to Aunt Sally, she's not the litmus test for truth. She's not the standard for truth. She's not the, 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 the word of God. She's not the example that we have. The Bible says we have Jesus as the example for our faith. So you have to, if you're going to take advantage of God's healing package that he has as a right and a privilege for all the redeemed, then you're going to have to part ways with religious traditions and some opinions you had based on what you've observed in others. Remember this, other people's tragedy should not dictate my theology. Other people's opinions should not shift my opinion about God that's driven by his word. So just because somebody didn't, you know, I mean, you want to go that way. So there's, there's people in the church that backslid. They were saved and they backslid. And they're not walking in light of, of Bible truth anymore. They've, they've gotten off the tracks. Are we going to come out with a doctrine now that salvation is a thing of the past because I saw someone get saved once, but they backslid. And so we don't really believe in salvation here anymore because, you know, if salvation were true, he would have never backslid. And that's not true. That's how some people treat healing. Well, we used to believe in healing, but we prayed for this person once and they got healed for a little bit, but then they ended up getting back into that state of, uh, of, of disease that they had before. They ended up, their body ended up getting weak again. And so we don't believe in healing here anymore. We don't preach it anymore, lest we should offend some people. You know, you start going down that train of thought, you're, you're going to end up not preaching anything found in the Bible because you'll find out that God's will is not always done on the earth. Just because God wrote it down in this book, just because God has made it available, doesn't mean everybody's walking in light of its truth. Because there's a, God has made available salvation to everyone. Not everyone walks in the light of salvation. God has made available to everyone peace of mind and joy by the Holy Ghost. Not everyone's walking in peace of mind and joy in the Holy Spirit, which the Bible makes very clear. The joy of the Lord is our strength. With regards to salvation, the Bible says God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why is it that some people are not saved? Just because somebody's not saved doesn't mean God didn't want them to be saved. It's just an example that I'm trying to show you today that God's will is not always done on the earth. Then some people will say, well, well, God, God permitted it then. You know, you're, you're talking about God wants us to walk in divine health. And I've seen some people that were strong Christians and they, they're sick in their body. God permitted it, so he must, have, he must have wanted it to happen for some other purpose. Just because God permitted something to happen does not mean he committed it. Just because there's a God gives permission does not mean that he was the source of its commission. 
Permission and commission are very different. God will permit you to go and rob a bank today. He didn't commission it. He didn't call you to do it. It wasn't his perfect will for your life, but God will permit it because God will allow what you allow. You remember the balls in our court. God said, if you, I have set before you life and death. I've set before you my blessings, which include divine health, and I've set cursings. And oh, that you would choose life, the Bible says. Oh, that you would choose life, that both you and your descendants might live. So the way we choose life in the area of divine healing is by rejecting the traditions of men and by accepting the truths of the word of God. Listen to this. This is what Jesus said in Mark 12, 40, uh, 24. Mark 12, 24. If you're just tuning in now, if you can help me by getting this word out to more people, by sharing the broadcast, it's very simple. You just click that share button on Facebook. I, I really believe God is going to touch people's bodies today and people that have been plagued by long-standing issues people that have been suffering. God doesn't want you to suffer in sickness anymore that he wants to see you suffer in sin. The same intolerance God had for sin in your life is the same intolerance God has for sickness in people's lives. And so if you'll help me to get this word out, people can't come in contact with God's power unless they hear the word. Remember, the Bible says, how can they believe unless unless they hear and how can they hear unless there be a preacher so when you share the broadcast you're allowing me to be that preacher in those people's lives so that they can hear and believe and in believing remember Jesus said with men things might be impossible maybe the doctors gave you a, a stage 4 terminal diagnosis maybe the doctor said you're going to live with it the rest of your life maybe the doctor said you're going to have to be prescribed medication to, to, to just cope with this because there's no known cure. If there's no known cure with man, there's nothing incurable with God. There's no problem in your body or in your mind that the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't have sufficient power to blast that thing off your body here and now. So the Bible says, if it's impossible with man, the Bible says, Jesus said this, the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. And all things are possible to him that believes. On YouTube, you like and comment as much as you can, and that's going to help us with the algorithm. Let me read this, Mark 12, 24. And Jesus answered and said to them, are you not therefore mistaken because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God? Jesus said, when you don't know the scriptures, you are cut off from accessing God's power. He said, these people are off the tracks. They're not walking in alignment with my will. They're not, they're not partaking of the feast that I've prepared on the table of God. Remember, he said in Psalm 23, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. But you actually cut, off your, cut yourself off from partaking of that feast when you don't know the scriptures. That's why I'm taking time to talk about what the Bible says about divine healing. It's not enough. You know, people say, well, I have faith for God to heal me. Why haven't I been healed? What's your faith based on? Is it based on, well, uh, God's in the healing business, amen? Great, we understand that God is in the healing business. Nobody doubts that, especially this preacher right here. But that's not faith. Just saying God is in the healing business is not faith. 
just saying, oh, oh, don't you know he can do it? That's not faith. That's why there's such an ignorance in the in, in the body of Christ at large concerning the area of divine healing because they all think they have faith for healing, but they don't. They just know a Christian cliche or some line that a preacher gave that was very catchy. That's not faith. Faith begins, understand this, and write this in the comment section. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And the will of God is known where? The will of God is brought to light or is revealed by the word of God. That's why Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. So when we're talking about faith for healing, I'm not talking about getting you, uh, convincing you to the point where you say, well, I believe in divine healing. That's, that's step one. Certainly is a good step towards what we're, we're trying to get to today. But that's not faith in itself. Faith is knowing God's word and having it hidden in your heart and spoken out of your mouth. So it's not just, I believe in divine healing. How many of you know God still heals today? That's a great statement. And I don't doubt it. And I don't contest it. But that's not what Bible faith is. Bible faith, and, and I don't want to ask for a show of hands on, you know, with the emoji or whatever, but I'm sure if I asked, I'm sure if I asked, you know, we have 130 people watching right now on Facebook and YouTube. I'm sure if I asked, how many of you can quote five verses, or forget five, three verses from the Bible that specifically show you that God wants you to be healed today? Conservatively, conservatively, I would say maybe 50% of people would not be able to, sh to point to three verses and quote them. That, is, that shows that there's a faith deficiency. Remember, faith is compartmentalized. What do I mean by that? You can have an extreme amount of faith that you're saved, but have zero faith in the area of divine healing, and you'll be saved, and you'll be a wonderful Christian, and I'm sure you'll be even an amazing prayer warrior and you'll you'll probably be a great gospel preacher and a soul winner and all those things are true but if you're not built up in the area of what the word says on divine healing you're gonna suffer unfortunately though it be not God's will you're going to suffer in the area of your health or when sickness strikes you won't know what to do you might just say statements like well it must be his will when in reality it's no more his will that you walk sick one day in your life than that you walk sinful one day in your life there's a lot of people that have an extreme amount of faith for divine healing but they have no revelation from the word when it comes to financial prosperity or just god you know god's provision mandate or god's provision um uh god's provision provisionary abilities and so they they walk in health they're saved but they're as poor as job's turkey there was a great man of god in the early 1900s had wonderful miracles he had such miracles and and an amazing healings in his ministry they were like beyond believable they were um, they were just awe striking where he slapped someone's stomach that had a stomach cancer on it and the person, I'm not talking about Smith Wigglesworth, the person's, uh, the next day as, as he traveled to another town, he got a telegram and the pastor said, that person you touched their stomach, uh, that person that you touched their stomach, the next day they woke up and they had like a handprint sunken in, a quarter of an inch deep. And the next, 
The next day he got another telegram saying it fell off. Fell off, totally fell off. That guy had amazing miracles. Saw the sick healed in every nation of the earth that he ministered in. However, his wife died of malnutrition and his children hated him for it because while he was out preaching and doing all God's business, he, had no, he always thought, you know, poverty is piety. He, didn't have, he had no revelation of, uh, of God's ability to provide and his willingness to provide. And uh, his, his wife died of malnutrition as a result of it because he didn't have sufficient light in the scripture to believe God to provide for his family. There's a lot of preachers, you know, they, they think that entering into the ministry is like signing a vow of poverty. That's not the truth. That, that ain't the truth. And they say, well, Jesus was poor. There's no, no, there's no indication in the scripture that Jesus was poor. Well, he rode on a donkey. Yeah, that was the mode of transportation in those days. You know, and another thing is he was fulfilling Bible prophecy. And I have to add that Jesus had a boat. That would be like the equivalent of a preacher today owning a, a plane. Because he could have easily walked around. He didn't have to travel the sea. But he had a boat. He had a, he had a, 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 a navy, a naval uh, uh, transportation in a day where, and not just one boat. The Bible says he had several boats that traveled with him. So the whole notion that he was poor and all that, that's where preachers get it. You know, how many of you know God heals and God saves, but we're on our own when it comes to finances and you know, uh, sometimes becoming a Christian just means, just means like, you know, you're going to struggle in some areas and sometimes that area is financially. And they make up these statements that have no biblical foundation and they struggle in it. So faith is compartmentalized. You can have faith for healing and no faith for finances. There's people that have faith for finances, faith for salvation, but have zero faith for healing. So it's not just I have faith in God. James said, even the demons believe in God. And they tremble. So it has nothing to do with just, I believe in God. I believe that he's always with me. You know, I that's not what faith is. Faith is, like Jesus said, knowing the scriptures. And as a result, when you believe it, it activates the power of God in those scriptures. Why am I talking about this? Because there are roadblocks to healing. And some come in the form of tradition. Some There's people that desperately want to be healed. And they have this... They have this innate knowledge that God does want to heal them, but these roadblocks separate them from tapping in to that healing power. Roadblocks like religious traditions, superstition, misquoting or misunderstanding the scriptures. Mark chapter 6, listen to this. Mark chapter 6. So if you're part of the crew that says, well, no, if God wants someone to get healed, they'll get healed regardless of if they believe Obviously, that's not how Jesus saw things because Mark chapter 6 and beginning with verse 1, listen to this. And Jesus went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many heard him and were astonished. And they said, where did this man come from or where did he get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him? That such mighty works are being performed or done by his hands. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not here his sisters with us? And they were offended at him. They didn't believe him. They rejected his message because they couldn't receive him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he, Jesus... The anointed Christ, 
the one who just a couple of chapters ago raised the dead, healed a woman with an issue of blood, commanded a man with a withered hand to stretch his hand out, and it was restored as whole as the other. This is the same Jesus that had cast demons out of others. He had already seen miracles. He was like a, everywhere he went. People were touching the hem of his garment, and they were receiving healing for their bodies. I mean, read the first five chapters of Mark. It's not like this was the first time Jesus was ministering, so he, was, he, wasn't as, uh, as, um, he wasn't as seasoned as other ministers were, so he had a hard time at Nazareth. It was his first time preaching. Get, cut him some slack. That's not, how, that's not how it was. This guy was already, Jesus was already uh, ministering successfully everywhere he went, but there was a difference at Nazareth. He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people. And if you study the Greek, it says with mild ailments. So they weren't like massive miracles. They were tiny, you know, mild ailments, headaches or whatever. And he healed them. And Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. And so what did he do? He started to complain about the people of Nazareth. These people are such unbelievers. I can't believe I even showed up here. What a waste of time, disciples. Let's go to the next town. These bunch of unbelieving things, they're never going to taste anything that I have to offer because they rejected me this. No, that's, that's not what Jesus did. He marveled at their unbelief. He didn't complain about their unbelief. He actually then provided the cure for unbelief. And he went about in the villages in a circuit teaching the people. So what's the cure to unbelief? Being taught from God's word. Sitting under Jesus' teaching. Sitting under the, word of, the tutelage of the word of God. Luke chapter 5, the Bible says, while he was in a certain place, he was teaching, and many people came from the, 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 the surrounding cities, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So as he was teaching, faith came alive in the people, and God's anointing came on the scene to heal people. That's why I want to take time today to clear out roadblocks to healing. Every loose connection you might have, every religious, and I've written down here, eight religious traditions that we're going to use the hammer of the word to break down today and destroy them so that they never hold you back from tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Remember, healing is the children's bread. And you weren't redeemed as a slave or a servant. You know, it's funny because under the old covenant, the, the, the Israelites were the servants of God. They weren't sons of God. We only became sons of God through Jesus Christ. The Israelites were servants of God. They always referred to as servants. Thou shalt serve the Lord your God. And he will, he will, um, he'll, he'll bless your bread and your water. So they're servants. And under a covenant where God saw his people as servants, he provided healing for their bodies. The Bible says he brought them out with silver and gold and there was none weak or sick amongst all their tribe. The Bible says in Exodus 23, 25, he'll bless your bread and your water if you'll serve him and he'll take sickness out of your midst. Exodus 15, 26, if you'll diligently hearken unto my statutes and my commandments, I'll not put on you any of the diseases that I permitted to come on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. So if God was so ready to provide healing for his servants under the old covenant, how much more will he provide healing for his sons and his daughters under this new covenant, which we have as a better covenant, Hebrews 8, 6, established and based upon better promises. 
So religious traditions is what short circuits the power of God and prevents people from accessing the inheritance. And much of religious tradition, and a lot of preachers that preach religious tradition, it's centered around explaining things away. Their preaching is all about explaining why things didn't happen. Do you understand what a preacher is? A preacher is not called to make sense of life. A preacher is literally, the, 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 the preacher's job is to be a proclaimer of the truth of God's word. Not to try and make sense. Proverbs 3, 6, 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't try and explain things away because while you're trying to make sense of everybody else's problems and why things happen to them, you yourself are being cut off from partaking of God's best here and now. So it's, it's religious traditions. That's why Jesus... You know, they couldn't accept his message in Mark 6. So what did he do? He went around teaching, breaking down the religious traditions. He went around dismantling their doubts, dismantling their, their concerns, dismantling and disproving their unscriptural thought processes and then implanting his word so that they could see. That's the thing. Jesus is a good God. He's a good God. He loves to do good things for his children, for his people. It's religion. It's religion that teaches the opposite. Jesus could have easily have just, like I said before, he could have just moved on to the next town and not cared. Instead, he went above and beyond and said, look, they're not at the point of faith to receive it yet, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to invest the next couple of weeks and I'm going to preach faith into them and we're not leaving Nazareth until we've accomplished the will of the Father, which was what? The Son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. That's why, there, that's why there's an incredible amount of fear, of sickness in the, the people of God today on the earth. Because the Bible says in 1 John 4 that it's God's perfect love that casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. And he that has not been perfected in love, he fears and he's tormented. And he, he, he has a struggle in life. He's, he's frustrated. He's confused. So when you don't have a revelation that God is a good God and he doesn't lay sickness on his children, the devil is the author of sickness and disease. The Bible says Jesus Christ was anointed by the Holy Ghost and power. He went about doing good, healing all. So the Bible connects doing good with healing all. So that means God sees healing all as doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So we know three, thing, three things from that verse, Acts 10, 38. One, God sees healing as good. Two, God wants to heal all. And three, sickness is an oppression of the devil. It's an oppression of the devil. So when the devil lies to people and gets them to think that God's at the other end of that sickness, what ends up happening is they no longer trust God's love because sickness is not love, sickness is hate. Look at what it does to families. Look at what it does to people. Look at what it does to people's destinies. Sickness is the will of hate. Sickness is the will of Satan. It's not the will of God. So when people think God puts sickness on his own children, what ends up happening is people don't really trust the goodness of God 
and have no faith or confidence in his love. And as a result, fear creeps in. Because perfect love casteth out all fear. But they don't have a perfect understanding of God's perfect love. And so fear's not cast out. Fear stays. And they live their entire life plagued by the thoughts of getting sick. And they, they're crippled because of it. Because, I mean, if someone's, someone's just worried about not making it past 30 or 40 or 50, they're not going to invest their time and effort and energy in doing anything on this earth. They're, they're like checked out. They're like just camping around because they don't think they, they have 80 years to go because they think they're going to die just like, you know, well, my, our family's always had this. Nobody in my family's lived past 39. So, you know, and then they end up not doing anything because they've been lied and deceived by the devil who wants nothing more but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life Less abundantly than it was in the old covenant. No, more abundantly. More abundantly. So I've written down here eight religious teachings that we're going we're gonna to burn out of your mind today. These are religious strongholds that need to be cast down if you're going to partake of God's healing power. Number one, religious teaching. I'm suffering with Jesus. That's why I'm sick. I'm suffering with Jesus. And they use the, the, the scripture in Romans 8, if we suffer with him, we'll also reign with him. And so I embrace this sickness because I'm suffering with Jesus. Jesus loves that I'm doing this right now. He loves that I'm enduring in this sickness. He, I'm, I'm actually honoring God and glorifying God with it. Understand something. When the Bible talks about suffering, it's in reference to suffering, persecution as a result of you standing on Bible truth. It's never talking about suffering by sickness and disease. How do we know that? I have many scriptures, but I find this one drives the point the best. James chapter 5. James, who, by the way, is Jesus' half-brother, and he spent a lot of time with Jesus, and he knew Jesus. So when you want to talk about who's an expert on Christianity, it's not that seminary graduate. It's Brother James from the book of James. Listen to what he says. Are any among you suffering? Let him pray. So he says, if you're suffering in your body, here's what I'm prescribing for you. You should pray. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying if you're suffering by tribulation or trials, or you're suffering at the hands of men because of standing on biblical truth, you should pray that God gives you strength. And grace to keep you, to keep you, in, uh, to, to make you endure. How do we know that that suffering is not referring to sickness? Because, let's continue reading. Are any among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Verse 14. Are any among you sick? So he makes a distinction between are you suffering or are you sick? Showing that biblical suffering has nothing to do with sickness and disease. Because if he says, are you sick? James says, you should also pray. No, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointed with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed any sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So James says, are you suffering? By the, at the hands of men? Are you suffering because of your stance on the word of God? Are you suffering because you're a Christian? 
You should pray that God gives you strength to endure. Are you sick? Then you shouldn't pray about it. You should call the elders of the church who are going to pray the prayer of faith over you, anoint you with oil, and command that sickness to leave your, bo leave your body. So there's a distinction between the two. And, you know, they use this, another scripture in the book of Psalms. Well, you know, I understand what you're saying, but the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, you know. So, you know, God, it's actually God honoring to have this sickness because it's an affliction and, and, and the Lord, Lord sees me as a soldier because of it. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Point one, finish the verse. The verse says, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So that in itself proves that God heals and God will heal and God will continue to heal. Because even if many are the afflictions, if affliction did mean sickness and disease, the Bible finishes off that verse by saying, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So even if there are sickness, God will heal. But point two is that word affliction in the actual Hebrew, if you study it, that word affliction has nothing to do with sickness and disease. It has everything to do with what I just said, tribulation or hardships. For example, I go and preach in a, in a city, and that city does not receive me. And they have like protesters across the street from my crusade ground, and they're flipping the middle finger to me. Like I know an evangelist, he preached in New Jersey, and they had a, a whole LGBT protesting group stationed across the street from his crusade, and they were flipping him off, and they were, they were you know, they had megaphones, and they were saying all kinds of stuff. That's hardship that he's, he suffered because of his, his uh, allegiance to Christ. That's what the Bible talks about when it talks about affliction. The, the original Hebrew is a hardship or a trial that you're going through because, uh, because of your, 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 your allegiance to Christ or just somebody who's, you know, in life, people are going to screw you over. You're going to have people that owed you money that never paid you. They're gonna, you're gonna, that are going to put you in a bad, now you're in a bad place because you needed that money. That's an affliction. But God will deliver you out of it. There's going to be times in life where people are going to go against their word. They said they'd have this project done by a certain time. They did it. And now you're in a, you're in a, uh, uh, you're bound. You're in a, a pretty tough situation now. You have, you have a deadline that you, and so now you're in a, a tough place, a hard place. That's an affliction, but God will deliver you. So it's never talking about sickness and disease. So the whole I'm suffering with Jesus, first of all, you aren't called to suffer suffer um, what Jesus already suffered for at the cross. Jesus took upon himself sickness and disease, not to suffer with us in sickness and disease, to suffer for us by taking upon himself sickness and disease. He was our substitute. He's not taking, the Bible says he himself took our infirmities, our sickness, our disease. He doesn't bear it with us as in he's going to help it to be a little more tolerable. He took it. He took it. Till Osborne tells a story who was a great man of God, who had mighty miracles across, across the globe in every nation that he ministered in. And Till Osborne tells a story that there was a minister that came to him and said, you know, every time I preach on healing, it seems like somebody in my family or myself, we get sick. And I know that God's just doing that so that I can suffer with Jesus so I can be a better minister of, uh, of God's healing power. T.L. Osborne said, well, brother, I believe the same thing you believe, but I don't get sick. And the reason why is because I don't believe I have to suffer with Jesus for the people. I believe 
Jesus suffered sickness and disease on that cross when he took it upon his body, which is proven Isaiah 53, Matthew 8, and 1 Peter 2.24. He took stripes on his body. That's why he didn't die in three days. Crucifixion was like a one to three day torture. And it, he died in less than six hours. Why did it take less than six hours? Because on that cross, your tumor was on Jesus. Your MS was on Jesus. Your diabetes was on Jesus. Your cancer, which is no longer yours anymore, was laid on Jesus. So stop saying it's my diabetes or my OCD or my depression because it was already legally by God laid on Jesus and Satan can no longer lay on you what was already laid on Jesus Christ. So stop claiming it as your own that's why he took jesus six hours he died in six hours breathe his last it's finished what was he saying when he said it is finished tetelestai it was a term uh, an, uh, it was a financial term that marked the end of debt and the cancellation of the penalties from that debt we owed a great debt our sin separated us from the commonwealth of God's goodness. It separated us from God and receiving his goodness and his healing power and everything that he had for us. We had a debt that we owed that was unpayable. Jesus hung on that cross, took upon himself our sin and the full penalty of the sin, which includes sickness and disease. Because in Eden, there was no sickness. Only after they got booted out of Eden, that sickness popped its re it reared its ugly head. So we know that there's no sickness in heaven either. Why? Because... There's no sin in heaven. So where there's no sin, there's no sickness. Well, Jesus cleared sin out of you. When he washed you by his blood, you're a, you are sinless. And that's Bible teaching because Romans 6 says, sin no longer has dominion over you. You're not under law. You're under grace. The Bible says sin should no longer dwell or reign in your mortal bodies. And so if sin doesn't reign in my mortal body anymore, then sickness can no longer reign in my mortal body anymore. Because he took it all. He took it all. I mean, sin and sickness are always interconnected throughout the entire body. Bible. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. He forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. James 5, we just read it. Let the prayer of faith be prayed. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the Lord will save the sick. And if he has committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. So confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Sin and sickness are always interconnected. Mark 2, Jesus gets to the synagogue and there's a man there who's lame, paralyzed, that they bring down before him as he's preaching. And Jesus saw their faith and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Could you imagine him? Hey, I didn't come here to get my sins forgiven. I, I need to walk. I want to I walk. I'm paralyzed. Can't you see? I didn't come here to, to, to get my sins forgiven. I came here to get my, my body well. And the Pharisees had even more problem with that statement because they said, this guy's a blasphemer. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know what Jesus replied? He said, which is easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? But the moment I say your sins are forgiven, you can rise and walk. Because once the sin problem was cleared out, the sickness problem leaves for free. Hallelujah. Man, this is a revelation for some of you watching today. You've tolerated the devil's crap in your life for far too long enough is enough you don't have to cope with it you don't have to tolerate it you don't have to stand for it you can stand against it the same way i have a violent reaction against sin i violently react against anything sin brought upon the human race sickness and disease included now's the time not to placate and nurse that thing in your body and just say oh in the lord's timing the lord's timing was the same moment you got saved the moment you got saved was the same time god wanted to 
to bring healing to your body, but it's religious tradition that says I'm suffering for Jesus that gets you to keep into this perpetual suffering and struggle with sickness and disease. But today it marks an end. You're leaving this broadcast whole and healthy and made well by the power of the quickening spirit of God in Jesus' name. I declare your body healed now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Number two, religious jargon that people preach. Whom the Lord, whom the Lord loveth, he chastiseth. They read Hebrews 12, it says, the Lord disciplines whom he loves. This is just my discipline. You know, had it not been for that sickness, I don't know if I'd be serving the Lord quite like this today. Really? So they use whom the Lord loves, he chastiseth. I'm not saying, now get, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that if you got sick and God healed you and it, incre- like, it, it just put a, a strong foundation in you and you love God all the more, you're more grateful for what he's done in your life and you tear up at the thought of it, that that didn't produce that. But that doesn't mean God caused it all from the beginning. You remember, it's what the enemy means for evil. God can turn for good. So God doesn't need to cause that from, to happen in order for for you to draw near to him. You know, the Bible doesn't say in James 4, get sick so you can draw near to God and God will draw near to you. The Bible says, draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? Get in his word, get in prayer. God doesn't need the devil's help to discipline you or correct you. His word is more than enough. That word chastise in in Hebrews 12, if you study the Greek, that word chastise literally means to educate or to to train the Young's translation of the Bible, who is a great Greek and Hebrew scholar, he says the word chastise means to educate or to train. So the same way that a teacher would educate or train your child, that's what the Bible saying, whom the Lord loves, he educates and he trains. He invests himself into that person. Well, which of you have par- which of you are parents and you have children? That you send them to school and you slip a note to the teacher and say, hey, if he acts up, here's a, a syringe that's, that has cancer in it. You just, you just lace him with that. He'll learn his lesson. Which of you would do that? Which of you parents would tell your, your child's educator that if he speaks up or he talks back at you, here's a, a sledgehammer. You just go at his legs. He'll learn the lesson. You would... That teacher, if they were a good teacher, they'd, they would uh, report you to child services and you'd, have, you'd lost your child by 5 o'clock that day because you're, you have lost your marbles. Nobody would do that. Nobody would. If my kid, you know, he does something, he's two years old, so he's in an age where I'm training him on a lot of things. He does something that I'm not happy or fond of, maybe writes on the walls, White walls with his Crayola crayons with neon green that are tough to get off. Anyways, he does that. What do you think? I rush in with a bat and start hitting him? Do you think I I come in? Judah, told you you shouldn't do that. Carrie, get the syringe that has diabetes, type 1. And we're going to give him that. Judah, next time, you have to understand. I'm doing this for your good. He would... I, they'd, I, I, you, you should be in a loony bin if you think that way. Well, the Bible says in Matthew 7, 
If you parents being evil know how to do good things for your children, you know how to treat them well, you love them, but your love is very finite. How much more will your heavenly father do good things to those who who do good things to those who are, who are called according to his purpose? Do good things to those who ask. The Bible says in James 1:17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no shifting shadow or variant of change. If it's not good or if it's not perfect, it's not God. It's not God. Good things. God is a good God. He went about doing good. Jesus actually rebuked the Pharisees because when the man with the withered hand, he called them up and he said to the Pharisees, he said, is it lawful? He asked them a question. Is it lawful to do good or do evil on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath? And they looked at him uh, and didn't answer him a word. And he said, which of you hypocrites don't untie your donkey to lead it away to water it? Or your oxen to lead it away to water it and do good for it, even if it's on the Sabbath. How much more should I do good to this man who's suffering, who's made in the image of God? So God, Jesus said healing's good. And the Bible says he won't withhold good from them that walk uprightly. So sickness is not his form of training or his lesson that he's teaching you. Bible says... Very clearly, all scripture is given by God for insp and inspired by God for training, for rebuke, for exhortation, for teaching, and for correction. The Bible says very clearly, who is the man whom you shall instruct out of thy law? The Lord instructs by his word. Understand this, God does not teach by destruction, God teaches by instruction. God does not teach his children by destruction, by crushing them and laying all kinds of vile things on them. God teaches his children by instruction. Number three, religious tradition. Well, Job was made sick by God. God made Job sick. Look at Job. I'm just Job. Well, first of all, A, here are five problems with that statement. A, the devil struck Job with boils, Job 2.7. God did not strike Job with boils. Well, sure, but he permitted it. I said it before, just because he permits something does not mean that he's, he's behind the thing, does not mean he's committed it. And another thing I'll add to that is that Job was not under the same covenant that we have today. If You see, that's the thing, is a lot of Christians don't understand covenant and they don't understand dispensations. Job was said to be between Noah and Abraham. What covenant did God have with man between Noah and Abraham? He had the covenant he made with Adam and Eve that one day he'd send a seed that would crush the devil's head. And he had the covenant with Noah that as long as the earth remains, seed time, harvest, cold and winter will not, will not be done away with. So there were two covenants established. But Job didn't have a Bible and Job didn't have the Mosaic covenant that promises healing to people. Exodus 15, Exodus 23, uh, and, and Deuteronomy 7 and whatnot. N Numbers chapter 21. Job didn't have that. Job did not have a revelation of Jehovah Rapha. He had, a, he had like a Windows 95 covenant and a Windows 95 understanding of who God was. He didn't have access to the riches of his glory that we do because of the Pauline epistles and the New Testament, which is the Old Testament revealed 
So because of that, Job couldn't even said, if only I can cry out to an arbitrator, a mediator between me and God who could put his hands on both of us and make peace between us too. But I know that my redeemer lives. Job cried out for a mediator. Who's that mediator he was crying out for? Jesus. Jesus was that mediator. So what Job cried out for, we have. So the whole God permitted it. God had no obligation to protect Job in that day because he had no covenant exemption at that point. We now have not only Old Testament and Old Covenant promises, we have the New Testament promises, which are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Well, God permitted it. God wills that all be saved. Some go to hell. God permitted it. Just because he permitted it does not mean he commissioned it. Number three, the reason why you can never be Job, Job's fear is what attracted the attack. So even if you want to say, well, God permitted it, yeah, but God permitted it on the, the basis that Job 3.25 says, Job's confessed and said, the thing which I have feared has come on me, that which I have dreaded has come to me. And we know that fear is like a magnet for the devil. That's why the devil was able to come in. That's why God had no obligation to keep that hedge of protection over Job. Also, Job didn't have the righteousness of Christ that ensured that the, the hedge of protection that was around his family, his body, and his finances stayed in place. God had no obligation to keep that up because Job wasn't righteous the way we're righteous. Job's righteousness was based on uh, his blamelessness at the time. We have a righteousness based on the blood of Jesus, and it's a righteousness that's eternal, and because of our covenant with God now, that hedge that God's placed around us, remember, Psalm 91, he that dwells in the shelter of the Most High abides under the protective barrier of the Almighty. That protective barrier can never be listed, and I'll give you a bonus point. Satan can't come before God and ask for you any longer. Bible says, Luke 10, 17 and 19, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Romans, uh, Revelation 12 says that Satan has no more place found for him in heaven. He can't go to heaven anymore. He can't appeal uh, God on your behalf. He can't come to God and ask for your body and ask for you. He can't do that anymore. He's got his rear end cast out of heaven. No longer, no longer having place for him in heaven. Number four, Job's, Job's ordeal lasted nine to 18 months. So people that say, you know, this is Job's, you know, this sickness that's been for 15 years. It's just, you know, this is just what happened to Job. It's happening to me. I just got to stay patient to the end. Job's ordeal lasted nine to 18 months. Most Bible scholars agree on that. And then after that, he lived 140 years more and prospered doubly. Everything he had lost, God gave him double back. And then if you study the end of the book, which leads me to point five, Job's problems were seen as a captivity of the devil. How do we know that? Job 42.10 says that the Lord restored the captivity of Job. Didn't say and the Lord, and the Lord, uh, the Lord stayed his hand on Job's life. It doesn't say that the Lord backed off from Job. Doesn't say and the Lord seized blessing Job in that way and he blessed him in a different way this, from this point on. The Bible says he restored the captivity of Job. Well, who was holding Job captive? Very evident. It's no hidden thing throughout the entire Bible, uh, the book of Job. 
it's always referring to the devil as the one that was sent out to, to strike him with sickness and, and all the other calamities that he endured. Number four, religious tradition that has to be obliterated from your mind today. This must be Paul's thorn in my flesh. How many of you know, Paul was a great, great man of God and God put sickness on him because there was a thorn in his flesh. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians 12. Well, if you study the thorn in the flesh and another good rule of law in interpreting scripture is don't just read one chapter and base an entire doctrine off one chapter. Study the book. Read the book. What was Paul talking about when he entered into his talk, his, his whole um, uh, 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 spiel on the thorn in the flesh? He was talking about, read chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about the calamities that he endured because of his preaching the gospel. All the times he was at, at sea. All the times that he was, um, he was treated with contempt. All the times he was whipped. 39 lashes. All the times he was in famine and in thirst. All the struggle that he had. And the, the, the ordeals he went through in getting the gospel transported from Jerusalem to Rome. He goes, you can read it on your own time. He goes through all, like in detail, at sea three times, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned twice, left for dead. He, he talks about all these detailed attacks he had on his life. And then he starts to say the reason why he had that. He said, I think because of the abundance of the revelation that was given to me, there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan. So the Bible talks about what the thorn in the flesh was. It doesn't say, and there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a sickness and a disease. Actually, there's no record in the book of Acts and in all his epistles of Paul ever even being sick. Because a lot of people think that his thorn in the flesh was some rare eye disease that he had as a result of the blindness he had after his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. But I mean, that's just such a belittling of the work of Christ because... When Paul went blind, Ananias came in and laid his hands on Paul, and his eyesight was restored. Well, when God does a work, he does it perfectly. God didn't restore his eyesight, but he still had some goo and pus coming out of his eyes, and he had to, he had to take like uh, water drops and visine for the rest of his life because it kept getting infected. When God does a work, he does it perfectly. The Bible says he perfects the work of his hands. So Paul's... It couldn't have been an eye, eye problem. The Bible makes it very clear what it was. A messenger from Satan. And if you read the book of Acts, I actually have it highlighted in my Bible. I went through the book of Acts recently, and I highlighted in pink all the times that Paul uh, was opposed. And like you can see, it ain't a little bit. A violent attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles to abuse and stone them. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent woman and chief men of the city and raised up persecution against Paul. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconian came and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But when the Jews saw the, the multitudes and they were filled with envy, they contradict and blasphemed and opposed the things spoken of by Paul. And so the contention became so sharp that they parted. 
But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned about the word of God being preached by Paul at Berea, they came there and stood up the crowds. But the Jews, when they were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, gathered a mob, and set all the city in an uproar. So you see, I have it all highlighted in pink. All the things that Paul was talking about when he was referring to this thorn in the flesh, they were demonically inspired people that had a mission. You remember the very first time he got opposed, there were Jews that took an oath that they would neither eat nor drink anything until they've killed Paul. And those people chased him down the, his entire ministry trying to put an end to his life. And then another thing I'll ask the people that say this is Paul's thorn in his flesh, thorn in their flesh, what revelation or vision has God given you that you should be exalted beyond measure? Because the Bible says why God, Jesus didn't take the, the, the problems away. We're, we're now also saying Acts 9 when Paul gets called, the one thing Paul was promised is I'm going to show you what great things you're going to suffer for my name's sake. So Paul didn't say, hey, it's going to be easy and breezy. He said, hey, you persecuted the church and all that? Well, you're not going to be exempt from any of that. You're going to see what great things you're going to have to suffer for my name's sake. And you'll appear, you'll appear before kings and rulers and Gentiles for my name's sake. But you're, going to, you're not exempt from any of the suffering. Jesus promised him that. That's why he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus wasn't going to take it away because, because he said three times, I inquired of the Lord to have this thorn removed from me. But the Lord said, no, 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 I'm not. My, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I promised that this was going to happen. You can't pray persecution off. But you certainly take, can use the prayer of faith to pray sickness off your body. I, you know why I'm so extra heated on Paul's thorn in the flesh? Because I was told this. When I got saved and I had OCD, I had people that were well-intended people. They had good hearts, well intentions. They weren't evil people. But they were religiously brainwashed. And they told me that the OCD I had was Paul's thorn in the flesh. It was my own thorn in the flesh that I have to bear. Because God was trying to groom me into such a man of God. Rubbish. As long as I believe that I didn't get healed. That's why I'm doing this broadcast. As long as you hold to these unscriptural thoughts about God's healing plan for you. You'll never tap into God's power to be healed. You'll never, no matter if you touch the hem of his garment, healing power will not flow. Because unbelief cuts you off from the supply of healing in God's hand. And faith, I've said it at the beginning of this broadcast, it begins where the will of God is known. And if you're uncertain whether God wants to heal you or not, you have no faith or no foundation for faith to exist. And if you don't ask in faith, the Bible says you shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. You're like a, 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 a ship tossed to and fro at sea. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded. You can't be double-minded in, in such a serious doctrine like this. You can't have two streams of thought. What's double-minded? Double-minded, if you actually study the, the root word in the Greek that James uses, it literally means two-tongued. You're saying one thing one day and you're saying another thing another day. You're having one thought one day and another thought the other. You're not convinced. You're not persuaded that God wants to heal you because you've been so bombarded your entire life with these religious garbage that I've been talking about this entire broadcast that it's like faith Faith has so many obstacles that it has to jump over before it actually gets into your heart. That's why I'm taking this time to dismantle those, those things. Because as long as I believe that well, this was Paul's thorn in my flesh, I didn't get healed. The moment my pastor, Stefano Giswaldi, 
sat me down and said, it's not Paul stone in the flesh. And this is why. And he explained from the scripture and he went through the Bible. You know, if you go Numbers 33, 55, Joshua 23, 13, Judges 2 and 3, there's the thorn in the flesh mentioned in each one of those scriptures. Every single time thorn in the flesh is mentioned in those scriptures, it's never in reference to sickness and disease. It's always in reference to a people group that were a thorn in the side of the, the Israeli people, the Jews, <coughs> the Canaanites. They'll be a thorn in your side. Literally, if you want a modern vernacular version of that word, it would be like, he's a pain in my rear. That's what thorn in the flesh was. There was giving me this pain in my rear. And I've prayed to the Lord, Lord, break me free from these guys. Just give me peace. And three times I asked and the Lord said, no. Can't pray off persecution. And certainly use the prayer of faith to pray sickness out of your life. Number five, healing stopped with the last apostle. How many of you know when the last apostle died? That's when God's healing program finished and ended. Really? Because first of all, Philip in Samaria, Acts chapter 8, he wasn't even an apostle. He was a disciple and an evangelist. And he went to Samaria, and the Bible says, preach Christ to the people, and there were many that were lame and paralyzed that were healed. He wasn't a, an apostle. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 was an apostle. He was a deacon. He served tables. He was like a, a board member of the early church. And the Bible says that he was a man full of faith and showed great signs and wonders amongst the people. Moreover, Mark 16, Jesus talking to the people before he ascends on high, he doesn't say, and these signs are going to follow the apostle. He said, these signs are going to follow who? These signs are going to follow those who believe. In my name, they'll lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. So the whole notion of healing ended with the last apostle makes no sense. Well, when the word of God came, God, doesn't, God didn't have to heal anymore. You know, be, to prove his deity. First of all, you have two things that are wrong with that. One, God doesn't heal people simply to prove his deity. It's a byproduct of it. But Jesus healed people and the apostles in the early church and the disciples of the early church and throughout history, people, God used people to heal others because he loved people. He loves people. He doesn't want to see you suffer at the hands of the devil. Sickness is never listed as a blessing from heaven. It's always listed as A, a curse or B, a demon. Or three, um, no, sorry, two. A, a curse, or B, a demon. It's part of the curse of the law. It's never referred to as a blessing from heaven. It's referred to as a, the curse of the law, the curse that came on the human race because of sin. So people that say that um, God, you know, God only healed then because he needed to prove his deity, Jesus had to prove his, his sonship. They don't understand that God's love was the motivating force behind his healing ministry. And then two, they're very arrogant and haughty in thinking, because Jesus said, if you don't believe my words, at least believe the works that you see me do. Believe the fact that I'm healing people, raising people from the dead. Well, these people that say, well, when the word of God came, we can just preach the word. We don't need signs and wonders. We don't need to heal anybody. The word of God's enough to prove uh, that, that Jesus is alive just by itself. Well, that's interesting because Jesus was the word of God made flesh and he said, people don't believe in me just because of my word, but if I show the works, at least believe that 
uh, in me because of the works that you've seen me do. And the Bible says Jesus showed himself alive by many infallible proofs in Acts chapter 1. And in the early church, God worked extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And there was a great revival at Ephesus as a result. So you think that you, who's not Jesus, the Son of God made flesh, have a better ability to convey the truth of the Word of God to the people and prove that our God is not amongst other gods or just bunched in with the rest, that he's the only God, that he's the most powerful God, that he's the God above all gods, that he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're, you have a better ability to do that than Jesus had? Because Jesus said, if you don't believe my words, believe ye the works that you see me do. So that doesn't float. Healing stopped with the last apostle. Healing has another thing is those people understand nothing about healing because healing has nothing to do with a man. Healing has everything to do with covenant and faith. Jesus turned to the woman with the issue of blood. Daughter, thy faith has made thee well. He didn't say, I made you well. He said, your faith is what tapped you into God's healing power. So if you want to say healing stopped with the last apostle and Jesus said healing came by faith, then we have to also say that we're all on our way to hell because it's only by faith that we are saved. It's by faith that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. By grace through faith are ye saved. It is not the work of man, it's the gift of God. If healing comes by faith and you're saying that healing ended with the last apostle, then since the last apostle, nobody's been saved. doesn't make sense. Six, John 9 says, sickness brings God glory. This is what they say. John chapter 9, this is a huge one. A lot of people, they always ask me this question. Well, you know, doesn't sickness bring God glory? Because John 9, this is what the Bible says. And his disciples, sorry, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night comes when no man can work. So they use this scripture to prove that people get sick because God wants to God wants to, uh, to get glory out of their sickness. Well, there's several problems with that. It's actually quite the opposite of what this particular story is, is, is proving. Jesus said, because the disciples came to him and said, who's sinning here that this guy was born blind? Was it his parents? Why was he blind at birth? Jesus said it had nothing to do with his parents' sin or even his sin, he was a baby. I mean, he was conceived in sin and all that, but it had nothing to do with that. He was born blind. Jesus points back to original sin. Original sin is the reason why sickness is on the earth. Romans 5.12 says that through men, one man's sin, death spread to all, for all men sinned. And death is the, the objective of every sickness and disease. So Jesus was saying it had nothing to do with their particular sin. It had everything to do with original sin that this man was born blind. But then he says, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Well, what was the works of God? I must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day, for night comes when no man can work. What was the works of God? In this particular, what did Jesus proceed to do? Did he wrap his arm around him and say, Luke, can you get some fish oils? You rub it on your eye every week. No. 
He healed him. He opened up his eyes. So everyone that says, you know, see, John 9, sometimes God puts sickness on people so that he can get glory out of it. He said original sin is the reason why this man was born blind. But I've come to destroy the work of the devil. I've come to reverse what the original sin brought on the human race. I've come to break the stronghold of hell off people's life and to bring heaven to the earth. Remember what Jesus said, pray this way, that my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, in heaven, are there blind people? No. So what did Jesus do? He enforced heaven's will on earth. And he healed the guy of, of, of his blindness. So it makes no sense. Do you see? I mean, people, they think they're so wise because they come to me, they ask questions, whatever. You know, some people are very sincere and there's no problem. I love answering questions. But some people, they come with like a real stick up their rear and they, 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 they think like I've never read that part. Of, oh, like they're going to get this reaction from me. Oh my gosh, never read that before. Wow, if we suffer with him, we'll be glorified together with him. I've never read that before. No, you're absolutely right. They act as if I'm like some, you know, us who believe in divine healing, that we've never studied the other side, that we've never heard the other side, that we're just brainwashed into thinking a one-sided thing, and we only heard one side of the argument and all that. I've heard it all. I've studied it all. I don't preach divine healing because it's what I want. I preach divine healing because it's what the word of God unequivocally says so John 9 isn't a proof that sickness brings glory to God John 9 is a proof it actually further proves that healing brings glory to God and God's work is to undo the work of sickness in people's life to undo the burdens of blindness and deafness and muteness off the people to release people from the bondage of captivity that the devils held them in. Number six, uh, number seven. Number seven, religious tradition that keeps people from getting healed. Lord, if it be thy will, if it be thy will, just touch my body right now. Only if it be thy will. People that say that are lazy people because they don't want to <laughs> study the Bible to actually find out what the will of God is particularly with regards to divine healing. Now, understand this. When Jesus prayed, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Not, nevertheless, not mine will be done, but thine, thine will be done. He was consecrating his life to God. He was devoting and dedicating his life in Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane, to the mission of heaven, the mandate of heaven on his life. Remember, he was, he was, uh, he was sweating drops of blood. He, in his humanity, he didn't want to go to the cross. And at that moment, he needed strength. And that's why angels came and ministered to him. But in his humanity, he was anxious. The Bible says in being in agony, he prayed more fervently. That's the crown of, the, 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 the Bible says, the chastisement of our peace being laid on him. It wasn't just the crown of thorns. It was the mental agony that he experienced before going to the cross. And so he prayed, Lord, I really don't want to do it. But if this can't be accomplished another way, then not mine will, but thine be done. I mean, he had seen, he had gone, he'd passed through Jerusalem oftentimes. He had seen people hanging on crosses before. It wasn't the first time. 
It's not like, oh, wow, what's this new form of uh, new form of execution we're using? Never seen this before. They were crucifying people long before Jesus, like 200 years before Jesus. So he understood exactly what was about to happen. And not only that, he knew prophecy. He knew it wasn't just going to be the cross. He was going to have the whipping post. He was going to have the crown of thorns. He was going to be brooded and scoffed and mocked. He even said, I'm going to be spat on. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be beaten. So he understood what was happening. So when he prayed, not mine will be done, but thine will be done, he was consecrating himself. He wasn't talking about being sick or anything like that. He was saying, I'm ready. If you're calling me to Africa, I'm ready to go to Africa. You're calling me to South America, I'm ready to go to South America. Lord, if you're calling me to quit my job and plant a church in uh, some rural town of Oklahoma, Lord, I'm going to do it. My, not mine will be done, but thine will be done. When you pray the consecration prayer, you can absolutely say, Lord, if it be thy will. But when we're praying with regards to things that have already been revealed in the Bible, you need never pray, if it be thy will. Matter of fact, tagging on the term or the statement, if it be thy will, after praying for something that's so clearly in God's word and is his will, you are then negating the effect of your prayer and canceling, canceling that prayer from taking root in your life. You don't have to wonder whether it's God's will for you to be healed or not. Just read it for yourself. Matthew chapter 8. Lord, if it be thy will, we pray that. Matthew chapter 8. Let's see. Because imagine me telling you, okay, we're going to pray for everybody you know, you, you accept Christ in your heart? Okay, let's pray the prayer. God, I accept Jesus in my heart today. If it be thy will, save me. How many of you would, when you, when you, when you got saved, how many of you prayed, Lord, if it be thy will, save me? If not, then let me go to hell. None of you. Why? Because I can point you to a scripture that says it's God's will for you to be saved. So you never have to wonder. Well, how about I take you into a journey in the Bible right now. And I point to a scripture that says it's not only God's will for you to be saved, but it's God's will for you to be healed. If I prove to you that it's God's will, if scripture says it's God's will for you to be healed, will you believe? The same way you believed that it was God's will to save you and you didn't have to say, Lord, if it be thy will, you were, you were convinced. Well, if I can show you a scripture that says that it's God's will to heal you, then let's apply the same faith that you did for salvation. And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshiped him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him and said, no, dear son, this leprosy is resulting in my glory. You don't know this. Very foolish of you to ask me to take this. No. Jesus stretched forth his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Before Jesus was able to heal the men, he had to clear out his poor theology and answer that main question, does God want to heal me? And he, he made a resounding yes statement. I am willing. Well, Acts 10.34 says that God is no respecter of persons, that in any nation of the earth, the man who comes to him and believes is welcome to him and welcome to sit at his table, in which on his table is served healing the children's bread. I'll give you another scripture just to seal the deal a little more. Exodus chapter 15. 
And verse 26. Listen to this. Exodus 15 and verse 26. And therefore he made a statute and an ordinance with them that day. And he tested them. And he said, if you will diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God to do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you which I've brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Let's go a little, let's do, let's do one more scripture. So that says one of the compound names of Jehovah is Jehovah Rapha. Well, if I'm going to believe he's Jehovah Tzikenu, the Lord my righteousness, and when it comes to righteousness, he's, he doesn't have a, an elite that he makes righteous. It's anybody that will call on the name of the Lord will be made righteous in his sight. Anyone that gets saved is imputed God's righteousness into their own, into their own lives. Well, if we believe that, his call to righteousness is universal, then also we have to believe his Jehovah Rapha and his call to healing is universal. Listen to this, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 and verse, verse uh, 54. And when they came, came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. They ran throughout the whole region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick, to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he entered into the villages, the cities, and the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. So not, and as many as touched him, that it was God's will to heal that day were made well, but the rest went home disappointed. The Bible says, as many as touched him, if they had faith to touch God had power to heal. If they had faith to stretch forth their hand and touch, God was ready to heal. I'll give you one more. Give you one more scripture. Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus went about all the cities in the villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And when he called his 12 disciples to them, he gave them power to, uh, over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. I'll give you one more scripture just to drill the point even more. Acts chapter 28. So this is not Jesus anymore. This is Paul evangelizing an island called Malta. Acts chapter 28. And in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery, and Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came, and they were healed. Acts chapter 5, Peter's shadow was falling on the people and all were healed. You should study the Gospels in the book of Acts and highlight where it says, and all were healed and all were made whole and they all received healing because there's a lot of instances. 
So now that I've made it evident that God always healed in the Gospels, and he's the same. Do you think Jesus did things differently then than he does now? He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. His nature is not different now than it was then. His power is not different now than it was then. His willingness to heal and help is not different now than it was then. The same Jesus that healed, restored, and delivered while he roamed the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee is the same Jesus who's ready on standby to stretch out his healing hand to your body here and now and give you relief from the burden of sickness and disease number eight and the final religious tradition that I have down and there's more but these are just the ones that 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 get me going the real healings in heaven brother how many of you know we might not be healed here on earth one day one day we'll be healed in heaven first of all you don't know what heaven is if you think you're going to be healed in heaven. Heaven is a place where the curse is lifted. And if the curse is lifted, there ain't sickness there. And if there ain't sickness then there, then there ain't going to be needing healing there. People aren't going to be needing healing there. So the provision for healing is not for heaven. The provision for healing is for here and now, where the curse dominates the human race. That's where people need to be delivered from the power of darkness and come into the power of God's dear son, the kingdom of light. Not in heaven. And then another thing I'll say is heaven, you're not getting a healed version of yourself. You're not getting a, 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 a better you. Redemption's not bringing you into an improved you. Redemption is new creation, the Bible says. When in that day that the rapture happens, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air. At that moment, both the dead that are resurrected and us who are alive. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 52, that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be healed. No, we will be changed. We're going to put on incorruptible. We're going to put on, the Bible says in 1 John 3, when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. The same body Jesus has is the same body we're going to have. It's a glorified body. I'm going to have 14 pack of abs. We're, there ain't going to be obesity in heaven. It's not going to be an improved you. It's going to be a brand new you, whereby we partake of a glorified body. Listen to Philippians 3. Philippians 3 and verse 21. The Bible says, who, Jesus Christ, will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the power by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So heaven is not you getting healed and we're still going to have the same level of stamina we had on earth. We're still going to just, it's just going to be a, a, an athletic you, as if you worked out every day. Heaven, you have a, you went from a Chevrolet to a Ferrari. That's what's going to happen. You went from a Honda to a Bugatti. Our lowly body is going to be putting on his heavenly body, his celestial body, the Bible says. So when people say the real healings in heaven, they don't understand what heaven's going to be, first of all. And then secondly, they don't understand 
our, 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 what our bodies are going to look like in heaven. And then thirdly, I'll say this, they've made death their savior rather than Jesus Christ their savior. They've made death their savior. They're waiting for death to relieve them of sickness when Jesus, the Bible says, went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. You don't need death to relieve you from the devil's reign of terror. Jesus already did everything necessary for you to break free from the reign of terror of the devil over your life and enter into the blessing that God has for you. We won't need healing in heaven. The promises for healing are here and now. The covenant of health and divine health is for here and now. It's for here and now. But the devil wants to make you... See, that's the thing. The devil always wants to postpone your breakthrough to a future event. That's why there's some preachers that preach. How many of you know your breakthrough's coming? Amen. Takes no anointing to tell somebody your breakthrough's coming. Jesus didn't go around telling people your healing's coming. No, why? Because he carried healing power. When you don't carry an anointing to heal people, you don't carry healing power, and you haven't spent time in the secret place, then, yeah, obviously you have to start telling people... Just trust in the Lord's time and healing's gonna come. Jesus didn't tell people in the Lord's time and healing's gonna come. He brought healing to the sick. He brought restoration to the captives. He opened up blind eyes and unstopped deaf ears on the spot. The disciples did it the same, and men and women of God throughout history did it the same. Catherine Coleman, a wonderful woman of God, she had a, an amazing healing ministry. She wouldn't lay hands on one sick person until they had taken a, like a five to seven day seminar on divine healing found in the Bible. Because it's foolish. Because that's where people have problems with divine Well, if you believe in divine healing, just go to the hospital and just lay hands on everyone and clear them all out. Jesus couldn't do that. He went to Nazareth and couldn't do it. It's not about just going in and abracadabra, magic, throwing people into a, a, out, of their, out of their sick bed. It has to come by faith, and faith comes by the, the word of God. So Catherine Kuhlman, Kuhlman would have people go through a five to seven day seminar whereby they received the truths of divine healing from the Bible, and then they came to a place of faith, and so when she laid hands on them, it's no wonder they had immediate reactions, immediate manifestations. They had an over, overwhelming uh, faith that had been generated in them throughout seven days of just sitting under Bible teachings with regards to healing. So that's what this week is. That's what I want to do this week. To pump what the Bible says about divine healing into you. To the point where, you know, if you think, well, I heard, I've heard enough. I don't need to tune in tomorrow or Thursday. You're, you're foolish. Pump. Man, when I was sick with OCD and I needed to get healed. And I, I refused to put up with the devil's mess in my life. I knew that it was the will of Satan to keep me sick, and then God had already provided healing for me. I knew that. But I went and I dug up healing scriptures, and I studied to show myself approved in this area. And I'll tell you something. Not only from this week will God break you free from that pain and sickness and mental illness or whatever's plaguing your body or mind. I believe God's going to raise people up from these broadcasts to be used to minister that same resurrection power to the sick. God's going to use you. As a, not only he's going to fill your cup to the brim with healing power, but there'll be an overflow of healing oil flowing from you 
that people around you are going to be benefited from this week of you staying in the classroom of the Holy Ghost and studying to show yourself approved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't feel in my spirit to pray today because I, I, I want... I want, I, we're going to pray when, uh, Thursday. Me and my brother Kofi, we're going to pray on Thursday. So I'm, I want you to meditate on what I spoke on today. I want you to rewatch it over and over again if you can. Take notes. Let it saturate in your spirit. And we're going to, like how the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, when the cloud is full, the rain will fall. We're going to fill that cloud of faith, and then God's going to pour out. Healing rain over your body. In Jesus' name. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.